0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. We've been in the Gospel of Luke, and that's where we will remain this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn with me to excuse me, Luke chapter 11, Luke 11. And uh, I'm going to drift through, story my way through chapter 11 briefly. And uh, we'll get into chapter 12, but certainly follow along <clears throat> in chapter 11 as I kind of summarize and w- warm us up a bit uh, to what Jesus is going to be teaching us in chapter 12. And so uh, <clears throat> we, we start here, and Jesus uh, is asked by his disciples. They say, Lord, um, <clears throat> uh, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples disciples and so he said to them when you pray just say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation so we have the lord's prayer right and he teaches his disciples how to pray not he doesn't necessarily say uh, repeat this pr- exact prayer right and so won't <clears throat> we'll go into all that I am so sorry. Uh, could somebody give me water? It literally feels like I have a golf ball <clears throat> right here. Thank you, Rick. You are awesome. Uh, shame on me for not grabbing one. Um, I almost grabbed Sean's water over there. Maybe that was Micah's. Uh, anyway, the, um, and, and, so, and then Jesus goes on after he, Rick, you are the man. Thank you so much. What a servant, man. You guys give Rick a hand. <clears throat> Oh my gosh, living water. Okay, Uh, thank you. Jesus goes on to then. Um, ex- explain, after he teaches them how to pray, he explains to them the greatness of, of the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? He says, if your uh, father um, knows how to give good gifts, right? Um, like you, you being an earthly father, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the heavenly father gives good gifts to those who love him, right? And he says, you know, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. And so <clears throat> Jesus is really teaching them uh, what an incredible gift, the greatest gift, of course, um, Jesus Himself coming to give His own life. What an amazing gift the Father had given us uh, in His Son, but also as the the Trinity, the triune God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, What an amazing gift that that the Holy Spirit was left for us, right? And so Jesus wanted His disciples to know that this gift was coming. Of course, they hadn't experienced it uh, to this point yet, as as obviously Jesus was with them in the flesh, And so, uh, and then the, 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 Jesus' ministry is, is starting uh, to, to boom, right? And the, uh, Jesus continues to uh, f- uh, be opposed by the Pharisees and, and by the, the legalists of the day uh, and, and by the non believers. They start saying, um, uh, they they ascribe his works or his miracles or his ministry, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in him. And in his life, they ascribe that to, to Beelzebul, right? Or Beelzebub, uh, which was another fancy word for the devil. And Jesus says, man, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house Divided against his self cannot stand, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, that's foolish. Uh, how, how can you say, uh, I am literally God in the flesh. How can you ascribe my works to those of Satan? That, that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> and in verse 28, he, he actually says this, uh, in, in, the, the, well, there's a lady that she cries out from the, from the crowd, and she says, "Blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you." You know, Mary, and indeed, Mary is uh, un- indeed blessed beyond measure uh, for having birthed the Christ. But Jesus says, "Blessed rather, or more so, are those who hear the word of God and obey it." It's a simple teaching of Jesus there, and and indeed, one that we ought to allow to take root in our hearts. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I hope I'm that type of person. I hope that we are those types of people. Jesus goes on to condemn the generation uh, for seeking signs and wonders. You know, the people... During Jesus' day, we're always seeking a sign. They're always looking for the next thing. They're always wanting God to show up again and again and again and Jesus to do another miracle and or another healing or, or uh, another raising of the dead. And, and Jesus condemned them for that. And Jesus condemns us for the same thing. You know, God has shown himself to be who he said he is and to be faithful in our lives over and over and over again, right? We, we ought to be able to look into the past in our lives and, and give God glory and thanks for all that he's done instead of constantly wanting to have God do the next thing for us in order to bring joy and praise in our life. I, I'm so guilty of that I'm always you know f- I can find myself in a lowly place and 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 wanting God to move or to do this thing in the future or for for this new new job or this next paycheck or this you know uh, a, a new relationship or whatever something new and fresh or I'm asking God for breakthrough in this area uh, or that which is good and okay but if that's if I'm lunging in the future, I'm, in a way, I'm almost doing like they did, seeking signs, seeking wonders, seeking the next thing from God, when really I need to be content and thankful for what God's already done, right? And uh, that's a bonus lesson for us all. Jesus teaches us uh, about the lamp of the body, which is the eye, right? Jesus teaches his disciples a really important lesson. He says, no one puts a lamp Uh, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. In verse 34, chapter 11, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. And man, what a great lesson that is today for uh, everybody with technology and TVs, screens, phones. Man, your eye, when your eye is healthy, your body will be healthy as well. And when your eye is unhealthy, your body will be unhealthy. And we have to guard ourselves. We have to Be mindful of the things that we're looking at, both men and women, and guard ourselves and make sure our eyes are in the right place. Your eye is indeed the lamp of the body, an awesome teaching by Jesus there. And then he goes on to uh, provide some woes to the Pharisees and and the interpreters of the law. You know, he basically tells them, you 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 tithe, and you you attend the synagogue, and in fact, you even serve, uh, but you don't care for the love of God. Like you don't have any mind for the justice and the mercy of God himself. so you you kind of do all these religious things, but you have you know nothing about the love of God. And so <clears throat> we certainly take serious Jesus's teaching to the Pharisees there and look into our own lives and ask ourselves, you know, are we playing church, or are we? fooling ourselves. You know, we might be faithful in, in the uh, attendance or in our tithe or, or even in willingness to serve, and that's all good. But man, if we lack a sensitivity for the authentic love of God and the justice that that He desires to establish upon the earth, then, then we are missing the mark. And so we would, we would want to take that serious. And so that's chapter 11, I moved very quickly through that, that was, could be a sermon in and of itself, but the meat and potatoes here is in chapter 12, and I, we are going to, to read through this. Jesus gives us uh, five things to avoid and so uh, in chapter 12, and I'm going to highlight all of those for you, so you can take notes if you would like, and I will give some commentary on on each one of them as we as we work through here. And at this point though in chapter 12 of the gospel of Luke kind of led up to a really a beefy part of Jesus's ministry. At this point in time in human history and in Jesus's life and even in the disciples' life, Jesus's ministry is probably it's hitting on all cylinders. I mean the pedal is all the way down. He is, Jesus is absolutely pouring his life out in every way for the the sake of really teaching the disciples what it's like to know and follow him. And so, you know, as he's living his life, performing miracles, teaching along the way, living his life, eating, drinking, sleeping, um, He's become incredibly popular. When I say popular, I don't mean viewed in high esteem. I mean just known, okay? He becomes extremely known at this point in his ministry. I mean, it it even says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12, if you wanted to follow along, verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, and here's our first word of caution from Jesus, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus, in light of Things are absolutely booming," it says. "People are literally trampling on one another. In fact, I read a story last night. I have a friend uh, who did who made a post on Facebook that he was in Las Vegas, and apparently, uh, somebody uh, they think it was a a, a a landscape guy, a mower was mowing the yard at one of the casinos, and a rock went and hit uh, a window in one of the casinos, and and everybody totally freaked. It was like." shootings, gunfire, oh my, you know, and it was it was mass panic, and he has a video on his phone, and it's kind of sad and a little bit crazy. I mean, people are like, they're trampling each other to get out of there, and it was literally a rock chip <laughs> flown out of a mower that hit the window of this casino, but uh, anyway, that's kind of what, I was reading that this morning, that's what it made me think of, was just, just you know, uh, uh, pandemonium, man, it was, people were obsessed with the life of Jesus, but what was not necessarily the case was everybody was being drawn to him in a positive way. Uh, so he was popular to some and hated by many. That is a, that is a reality of the life of Jesus. And it's a, it's a, it was a reality then, and it's a reality now. Jesus is incredibly popular, but he's loved by some and hated by many. That's still a truth about Jesus. And our, But in light of that, his first avoidance or his first caution to, to the disciples and certainly to us as well is to avoid hypocrisy, or he called it the yeast of the Pharisees. And he, I'll read on in verse two, he says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you've whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, these are the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Well, that's pretty strong. I think sometimes we kind of we kind of weaken the word of God at times. We, we pat it down. We soften it. We, we make it a little more palatable for people in this generation. But I, I really trust the Holy Spirit even today and this, this morning. God would, would give me a boldness to just preach the word for what it says, right? I mean, this is literally what Jesus said. He said, fear the one who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. That's a pretty strong word, and I think this, that's one of the reasons why people in Jesus' day hated him. It's the same reason that people hate him today. It is a matter of, of justice. It's a, it's a matter of issue of, of the sin condition of humanity. And, and, and whether you agree with God about your sin or not. That's really what it comes down to. And it's what it came down to then and it's what it comes down to now. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. That's interesting. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is what we would call the unpardonable sin. Blaspheming the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? It is to testify of the person of Jesus and who he is and who he said he was and and what he came to do, which was to die for the sin of humanity and to resurrect, to give life to those who would put their faith in him, right? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to testify of the good news of Jesus. And so if you deny that, that is the unpardonable sin. And uh, that is a simple but powerful teaching from Jesus there. And listen to this. This encouraged me. He said, when you're brought before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you would say. Ah, There's times where I even come up to preach a message like I would this morning, and I have no idea exactly what God wants me to say, but I don't worry. I trust God would fill me, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and that it would come out as he sees fit, as he knows I'm a willing vessel. I wouldn't be up here if I wasn't. It can be scary at times, just like whatever God's asking you to do. Maybe it's to go love that person at your cubicle, you know, at work next to you, or uh, on the Zoom call, or uh, whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe you got a a, a, maybe you're retired and living the high life. Maybe you got a, a, a jogging friend, you know, or you go on walks in the morning or whatever. God might be asking you to pursue that person, love them like God would, and and. Maybe dig a little deeper into your relationship with them, and don't worry. Like, God, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. You don't have to practice or overthink it. Just lean in there and let God do the rest. Now, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How funny is that? Literally, Jesus is is teaching uh, about some core principles of life. I mean, he's talking about the doctrine of salvation. He's explained to them the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talked to them about how he will go to the cross and he will give his life as a ransom for many. And some dude in the crowd chimes up, He's wanting his inheritance, man. He's ready for his share, and he wants Jesus to 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 tell his brother, man, that that uh, you know, read read him the rights of the will, man. And that's so funny. Uh, I'm in the land business, and I run into that constantly, where uh, family members fighting over over their inheritance, and how sad that really is. And Jesus replied in verse 14, man, <laughs> I had I know he was chuckling. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? And he said to them, and now when he says to them, he this is to his disciples, and this is number two. This is Jesus' caution number two. Watch out! Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So, number two, avoid greed. Life is more p- precious then possessions and retirement funding and building a, a legacy for you and your family. He told him this parable: "The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest." He thought to himself, "What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops." Then he said. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, "You've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry." But God said to him, "You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get I'm sorry. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself?" This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Oh, what a classic teaching from Jesus. Um, Money is a resource for living, not the purpose for living, right? And sometimes we get that tangled up. Money's not a bad thing. I love money, man. Money's awesome, you know? It's like what's that Chris Jansen song, you know, that country song? It can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. It can buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets, right? So I love that song because it's funny, right? Um, It's it's a great teaching, man. He's like, you know, money can't buy everything, but it can buy me a boat, you know? And uh, I I love that song, but I love this teaching by Jesus because it's true. Sometimes... One of the god God wants us to use money and use our resources, whether it's our home, our clothes, our time, our money, our um, possessions. he He desires to give us those things and and He wants us to use them as tools to to be ministers in His kingdom. But sometimes we actually like, Falsely uh, build our lives around the money, and and that's where we can get tangled around the axle. And and at times, um, it, it really is. At the end of the day, it's just greed. You know, uh, it sounds aggressive and it sounds heavy. Like I'm, I'm not greedy, but you really are. Like if you're, if you literally spend all of your time figuring out how to maximize your profits and grow your wealth, etc., um, that's you're being greedy with your time. Uh, And and you're being greedy with your resources. Even if you tithe 10% and you're faithful with what God's asked you to do at the bare minimum, you can still be greedy and and tithe, right? So you just need to challenge your heart on what God might be saying to you there. The third one is the third uh, word of caution from Jesus. We find here in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so he's really leaning into his disciples. He's not teaching to a massive crowd here. Even though crowds are gathering, they're trampling on each other to get close to him. He is speaking privately to his disciples here. He wants them to get it first. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. There's the teaching. Don't worry. What you will eat about your body or what you will wear For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap or have a a storehouse or a barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He, He goes on to say, consider the lilies, consider the flowers. They grow and they spin and they don't labor, right? I'm going to move down to verse 34. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry, verse 31. But he, Jesus says, "Seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well, or in addition to." So it's not that God doesn't want us to have, you know, nice clothes or a nice car or a nice home or or um, air conditioning. You know, we don't have to all sell our stuff and move to Uganda, right? That's a God may be asking you to do that, but it's doubtful that He's asking the majority of us to do that. Like, we don't have to be scared of money or uh, some type of American dream lifestyle. That's not the problem. It's, it, the problem is if we haven't first sought the kingdom of God or considered the things that God cares most about, which is the souls of humanity, which are his great possession, right? His family. It's when we don't care about that more than we do our own kingdoms. And I, I even wrote here... You know, God wants to give good gifts to His children. You know, who obey. It's just like me. Like I, I love my kids so much, and I love giving them gifts. But I don't love giving them gifts when they don't obey. In fact, what does every parent do when their kid doesn't obey? They take them away. That's right. And it's like man. I remember one time I acted in anger here. I confess, but it was a good point. I remember one time, man, the kids were acting up and. And they, for Christmas, they got this big, like, transformer thing, you know, and he was awesome, like, he had movable arms and everything. And the kids were just being little turds. And I went and I took that thing, and I'm like, no more transformer. And I walked outside and just slam dunked that guy right in the trash. And I felt so good about it. And I felt a little bad. But <laughs> I'm, it made the point, right, hey, this was a good gift. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. This gift is going in the trash because you guys can't steward it well. God does the same thing with us, man. He's stripping things from us all the time, whether we realize it or not. He's taking things away from us because we've been bad boys and girls. That's the reality. He's a good father for doing that. He teaches us a lesson. Blessed is the one whom the Lord chastises, the word says, and that is indeed true. And uh, so I also put here, I often worry when I focus more on my kingdom than His. You know, when, when, when I get on the worry wheel, you know, where I just, your brain is going and you can't sleep and you're stirring about things. That happens to me all the time. It's usually because I'm focused on my kingdom and not His. It doesn't mean I'm uh, going to hell or I'm a terrible person or God doesn't love me. It just means that I'm a little off in my thinking and I need, uh, I need to... You know, my heart and my mind need a little bit of work, you know? I need to pray about it. I need to talk to God about the things I'm worried about, and I need to cast my cares on Him. You know, I don't need to be worrying about something that He's not worried about. Isn't that stupid? We worry about stuff all the time that God's not worried about. (laughs) It's like, why would we do that? But we're human, and He knows it. Uh, But that's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is there to do. Show us, right? Convict us of our sin, and point us back to Jesus. And um, I also wrote, man, my my joy is in the heavens, but my experience is on the earth. And, and, and I wrote that because what I mean by that is sometimes we want to find joy on the earth, right? We want to find joy in how much we set aside for retirement or how how many trips we can go on or how big a house we can build or how nice the furniture we sit in is. It's like, we can find joy in those things that we have and and our experiences on the earth. And by all means, God wants us to experience life on the earth in in, in an awesome way. I mean, his creation, like I love, you know, I like being on farms. I like being at the ocean. I like being at the lake. I like floating the rivers. I love that. Man, God made all that and I can appreciate it. But sometimes I'm striving for experiences and joy on the earth and I lack that heavenly perspective, and I lack that heavenly heart, and that's where I start to strive, and when I'm striving, I start worrying, but when I step back, and I'm not striving for myself anymore, and I place my joy in the heavens, meaning I'm simply happy knowing Christ loves me, knowing that he died for me, knowing that he left his spirit, the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit left in me to help me discern the ins and outs of life. I'm content knowing that he's blessed me with a wife and kids and a job and a home. And if when I find myself seeing my life the way that God sees it, I'm joyful. But it's when I'm trying to experience life to the full, you know, YOLO, I start to struggle. And so my joy, my, my mindset needs to be in the heavens uh, and my experiences on the earth. Okay, this is, next two are really important. Jesus, in um, verse 35, he, he goes on. I, I, after verse 34, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But verse 35, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. What he's saying is avoid missing your assignment. Don't miss your assignment, man. God's given you an assignment. You have a mission that God has given you and he's equipped you for. He made you for it. Um, Well, first thing is... um, Jesus is coming back. That's what he wants us to know. Now, I'm not preaching. This is not a message about, oh, my God, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. He could, and by by all means, I hope he does. But that's not it. It's not like a scare tactic, like, Jesus could be coming back, so you better get your life right. That's not the point. Jesus is saying, though, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like, you never know what God is going to set before you that might have an impact for the kingdom. And bless your life, both here and now, as well as in heavenly places. In verse 36, he goes, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door like they're expecting him, right? It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. But truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Like Isn't it awesome? It's like this picture of like, we live our lives with Jesus. We're in fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives. We're ministering to other people. We're we're, we're evangelizing and and we're bringing new people into the kingdom. But we're also taking people that are already in the kingdom and we're raising them up uh, and and we're watching them uh, be a blessing to others. They're reproducing, right? We're making disciples and we have this, this culture of, Christ-like uh, following in our lives. And we, as we're doing that, when the Lord does return, and the Lord's, in a sense, returning for all of us, right? Whether he calls us home to be with him or he comes down to get us, it's still the same thing. Like uh, There will be a day where all of us are face-to-face with Jesus, and, uh, and some of us will be more ready than others. That is the truth. And those who are ready Jesus paints this experience like man, Jesus will dress himself, you know, uh, and he'll have him recline at the table, and he'll come and wait on, it. like he, he wants to serve, like, you know, we'll be at the, the marriage supper of the lamb, right, where we're all sitting around, and we're just joyful to be in the presence of God, and he's serving us, uh, and it's an exciting thing. It will be good for those whose master finds them ready, you know, and then he goes down to say, um, it, it will not be good for those who, who don't. In verse 40, you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him and that is true jesus is coming back at a time nobody knows uh not even jesus himself knows only the father right and when the father tells him time to come it will be time to come peter asked this is awesome i circled this and i never noticed this before in verse 30 oh sorry 41 peter asked lord are you telling this parable to us or to everyone else i love that peter's like I just need to clarify. Like, is this teaching unique to me or to us? And why is it? Why aren't you telling it to them? You know. And I love that about Peter, man. I can, I, if of all the disciples, I can probably identify with Peter the most. Very zealous, often a little confused, but his heart was in the right place, and he. Uh, ask a terrific question, man. And I love his boldness and his courage with Jesus. But he said, the Lord answered this. Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise manager? So it's funny, Jesus didn't just say, I'm talking to you, Peter. He just gives him a question or a story here. He says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It'd be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of. Listen to this. This is wild. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. (laughs) That's strong, man. Jesus is like, I'm talking to you, Peter. He said it without saying that, but I know that got his attention. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Ooh but the one who does not know and does these things deserving punishment will be be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Man, Jesus is saying, dude, you are accountable. (laughs) Jesus is like, man, I've pulled you aside. Like I pulled you off the lake I showed you who I was, I took you up to the mountain. He's almost like he's saying, Peter, do you remember when we took that little hike up the mountain and my face transfigured and Moses and Elijah showed up and you wanted to build a tent and all that? Do you remember that, Peter? You remember when you heard the audible voice of God come down and say, this is my son, listen to him, right? And Jesus is saying uh, to Peter, would be saying in the spirit of it, listen to what I'm telling you. Be watchful, be ready. Don't miss your assignment. That's the, the, the message for us today in this church, in this body, in this family. Don't miss our assignment. God has assigned you to something. He, he, God is like the master that has given a servant, you. He has entrusted with you a life that he desires for you to live. How you steward that is very important. The, number five, this is the last one, and it's, it is uh, where we'll land our talk today. It's avoiding a false reality. Jesus uh, wants us and one of the disciples to avoid a false reality. And, and this is what I mean by this. And this is what Jesus meant, I should say. He says this in verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I'm under until it is completed. He's talking about surrendering his life to the cross, okay? He's saying, hey, I've got a baptism that I've got to go lay my life down, and it's not yet completed. And he's under constraint until it did happen. But he says, do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division had to have rattled The disciples. Maybe it's rattling somebody in the room today. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. Like we see a storm cloud come, and we're like, "It's going to rain," which we need. Praise the Lord. And He says, "When the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is hot, and it is hot." He says, "Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? So important. You're li- He's saying you're you're living in a false reality." Things, you, you, you want things to be better than they really are. He says, why don't you judge for yourselves what's right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. Sean, I'll invite you and the in the crew to come on up while I land the, the sermon here. But Jesus is teaching us a really critical lesson on avoiding a false reality. Did Jesus didn't die so that we could, quote, live the American dream, right? Or or, or pad our lives with 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 joys and pleasures that have no eternal meaning. When when you follow Jesus, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, and there might be someone in the room today pondering, man, do I really know Jesus? Am I really wanting to follow him? And they're counting the cost. Jesus wanted his disciples to know. He, he also wanted them to communicate to, to the people that would eventually follow them that there is a cost to following Jesus. And one of it is, could be, it's possible that it's your own family or your own friend group. I mean, I remember when... I followed Jesus in college and I just about lost every friend that at the time I thought were my best friends. And the reality is they weren't my best friends. We just had common interests. You know, we would go to the bars together. We would get drunk together. We would chase girls together. We would do it. But then once I gave that life up, and I didn't want that anymore, and I actually wanted to live the life that Jesus wanted me to live, those friends disappeared on me. And they were really no friends at all. And it was nothing against them, I just came into the knowledge, I came to know something that they didn't know. And so I was, I was accountable to that, but it was, it was part of the cost of following Jesus. And there's somebody listening right now that is nervous. About giving their life over to Jesus because they know it's it's gonna it might impact their relationship in their family it might impact a relationship uh, a friendship it might impact a a love relationship and that's okay it's what Jesus is saying he's also saying that man I, I didn't come to bring like peace on the earth not the first time he will the second time he will establish justice and set up his kingdom on the earth. And that is exciting. But the first time he came with a sword. And it is the word of God that divides all of humanity. The truth of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save the sins of of humanity. And there are two types of people in the world. There are those that know him and love him, and those that choose not to and ultimately will hate him. There's two types of people in the world, and so it's divisive. And you, you can't be on the fence about who Jesus is. You can't be on the fence about salvation, man. There is a fork in the road. That is the reality. And you have to digest that truth before you die physically and know that God has purposed for you to land in eternity with him. You're going to land in eternity no matter what, but it'll either be with him or without him. He says, that I came to divide. I I wanted to share a few comments like I have in previous weeks. Following Jesus, these are some of my thoughts, and and I'll leave it to Sean and the team. Following Jesus in today's world should feel more radical than normal. I think we're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, but, but make it not really like impact our culture too much. And that's not possible, Jesus is saying. When you follow Jesus, it's absolutely radical. He He will change your life and it will be different. It'll look different, it'll sound different, it'll be different. And it won't be all that well received by the world. In fact, if your life is so attractive to a whole bunch of people, you might want to question, is my life really built like Jesus's life was? It, it, it might be something you need to, to ponder or consider. I put, I have to guard myself against striving, and, and often that's what starts the worry wheel, man. Jesus teaches his disciples, don't worry. I spend a lot of time worrying. I know you do too. And, and that's not how God wants us to live our lives. When I focus on his dreams, like God's dream would be that we would all come to know him. We would all accept him as savior and that we would all be with him in paradise for eternity. That is God's dream. That won't be the reality, but it is his dream. But when I focus more on that, bringing more people into the knowledge and the saving grace of Christ, that I, I notice that the dreams that I have in my mind in, my, in my, uh, my mortal mind, my, my earthly body, right? I, what I can think about, the life that I can vision, it starts to happen. Like my earthly dreams are coming true as I'm investing in the heavenly dreams that God has for him and his family. The dreams that I have for me and my family are just coming true. It's not because I'm making it happen, it's because I'm focusing on God's kingdom and he's blessing my life. It's like a double life, but not in a bad way. We say, you know, not to be double-minded. We don't want to be double-minded or living a double life, like we would say in a, some really bad uh, sitcom or something. But uh, what I mean is your, your life is, is, is like in two parts. When you follow Jesus, you, you instantly step into an eternally secure being, right? And so like even right now, man, I am a born-again follower of Christ, living, changed, and eternal life right in the here and now. And when I, my body will die, but my soul remains the same. Like, I am hidden in Christ already. Ephesians says, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now, okay? But I'm still on the earth. So it's like a double life. You, you need to be with the Lord in heavenly places, but experiencing life in earthly places. Ask the Lord what that means for you in your life and see how it might impact you. Pray with me if you would. Lord, I'm thankful for this body. I'm thankful for this church. Thankful for the word of God and for your teachings. Jesus, I pray that anyone listening this morning would have heard you and not Shay, that the Holy Spirit would have had his way and that you would minister to our hearts in a way that only you can. Thank you for your gift. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.